On Sunday nights, I've been uh, dealing with uh, different issues. I deal with more with heart issues, dealing with uh, uh, personal problems, personal heart problems, and whatever it may be. And I've been just touching stuff on that, like for the last couple of years, almost on Sunday nights, most of the time. And uh, I've been wanting to do this uh, for a little while already. And I finally just got down to studying it and getting it nailed down here. And so what I want to do is a, is a short series on what's it's called. Uh, um, why am I angry? Why am I angry? And it's something that I think all of us uh, have to address in our personal lives is our anger. And we all have it. Uh, sometimes it's, it's not the same as the next guy's anger, but we all have a form of it somehow and we need to deal with it and uh, learn how to surrender that into the, into the hands of Christ. Amen. And to be more Christ-like in our responses to things. And so uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1 um, before I read the text, I just want to, I don't know if you folks have ever seen a bird uh, caught in a garage or a shop or, a, you know, we see sometimes in Superstore or uh, you'll see a bird up there and everybody's watching this bird fly around. And it's interesting because it got in there, but it's having a problem getting out. And that's really the issue. Um, you know, you as a person, you're in the shop and you got the, the garage door wide open, you got the door wide open, you're trying to provide an access for this bird to get out. You even walk in and out to say, see, look, give an example and so forth. And you even try talking to the bird, please come. And it just doesn't listen to you. In fact, what the bird will usually do is it'll just keep going higher. And it'll just be, it'll perch on the highest beam because that's where the bird feels safe. And when it comes to dealing with our personal issues, our anger issues, we do the same type of thing. And we don't realize that there's an open door, there's a way out, there's a way to deal with it, but instead of going the direction that we need to go down to the door, we keep raising ourselves up. And so we end up staying there, and many birds will actually die in that state with an open door. With an open door. And, and Christians, we, we, we are the same way. Uh, if you're born again here today, the Lord has given you a way out. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 2, I want to just give you a couple points here. I don't know how far we're going to get tonight. I, I'm not going to try to keep you late here, but I do want to start this. And this, there's a lot of meaty stuff here. And so if you do have a notebook and a pen, uh, I, you know, I, I'm not doing worksheets. I find I'm doing it for Sunday school, for Wednesday night in our Bible study. And if I do it on Sunday night, man, that's a lot of work. And so, you know, I could do it, but I decided I'm not going to do it. I'm going to let you, uh, I'm going to let you, I want to see how bad you want to find your way out. Amen. And if you want it bad enough, I think you'll get yourself a pen and you'll write it down and maybe get some notes and, and seek for that way. But I want to give you some introductory thoughts on anger. And the first one is that every person has been subject to anger in their life. Every person. Now, it's not always the kind where we blow up. Uh, sometimes it's a kind that's very hidden. It's almost a passive anger. It's an underneath, uh, underneath the surface type of anger. Uh, sometimes for me, it was, I was very quiet. I was very intro, introverted. And so for me, it always was like underneath until something pushed me over the edge. And then I would just blow up one time. Amen. Then I'd go back to the under anger uh, mentality, you know. And so I don't know what anger you've had, but in Ephesians chapter 2, this is what it says in verse number 1. It says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, 
where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had, uh, we all had our conversation in time, times past. So that's all, we all, every last one of us, had our conversation, our lifestyle in times past in the lusts of our flesh, in the longings, the desires of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Notice what it says, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, by our nature. So we all, at one point before our salvation, we were all in bondage, walking this course that Satan had planned for this world, uh, maybe not even realizing it, but we're falling into line with the mentalities, with the world system, and so forth, and our nature is the nature of wrath. And that's something that we have to overcome as believers. Because sometimes just getting saved doesn't deal with all those inner issues. Amen? And so we have to find a little deeper truth to help, our, help find our way out of those doors. Otherwise, we just keep getting perched up there and we just die. Amen? And we don't want that. We want to find the way out. And these principles as well, I think it's not only just for anger. The things I'm going to talk about tonight, I think, can be related to almost any sin problem that we have. And so if, if there's something else the Lord tweaks your heart about, by all means, apply the principles. But I'm really going to be focusing on this little series on the aspect of anger. And so in our lost state, we are enslaved by sin. We are walking a course that we couldn't change. We live for ourselves. We live for our own longings. Our nature was a nature of wrath. And that's what we need to understand. There's a connection between being a child of wrath and longing for yourself. There's a connection between self-centeredness and anger. There's a connection between those two. And really the freedom that we find out of anger is really dealing with our selfishness. Dealing with ourself, our own dependency, our, in, our, our independence. All right? And so we need to deal with that. So the next point I want to bring across is one that is born again, energized by the Spirit of God is no longer under sin's dominion. Is no longer under sin's dominion. Now, Romans chapter 6, verse 14, it says, For sin shall ha not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Now, the word dominion means Lord or Master. It means to have or exercise rule or authority over or to Lord over you. It's spoken of things as exercising mastery over us. So really what it's telling us here, if we're saved, that sin no longer is exercising mastery over us. Now we would say, well, yeah, because I can't stop sinning. No, no. It's because you have not found the door. That's why you can't stop sin, that sin problem. You say, I can't stop getting mad or I can't stop getting angry. No, no, it's not that the sin of anger has dominion over you. It's just simply that you haven't found the way out. And once you find the way out, you'll realize that the anger never did have mastery over you as a child of God. In fact, you're free. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely free. And it's almost a shock to hear that from somebody because we so equate being angry or some of these even sin problems we have as a part of our personality. This is just who I am. I'm just an angry kind of guy. I get mad easy. 
I'm sorry, that's not a part of who you are. That's not a part of who God made you to be. He saved you to make you a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The problem is, you not only have to realize that in a positional level, where, okay, I'm seated in the heavenlies, everything that's Christ is mine, but you have to apply that position to your practical life. And that takes, like I said this morning, choices. Amen? Remember in Sunday school, a good name is rather to be chosen. So you got to make some choices in life. And when you make the right choice, you start looking down. You say, hey, there's an opening down there. I'm going to take that instead of staying up here and dying. Amen. And so it really comes down to a choice for believers, whether we're going to allow that sin to have mastery over us, because really it doesn't have the power to master you anymore. You get that. Do you believe that, Christians? Come on. I mean, the Bible is so clear. (laughs) Uh, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Amen. And you read that whole chapter, it'll bless you. And so uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 12, this is a part of that chapter. It says, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. So God has given us a command here, let not. There we have a choice again. Let not that sin reign. And of course, reigning, you think of a king. You think of ruling over you. And sometimes we have sin in our life. We say, oh, I just can't overcome this. Yes, you can. You absolutely can. That sin does not have to reign over you. You have to make the choice to be free. Amen? And that means you have to believe something. It's all about faith. It's all about trusting. And so the Lord has opened the prison door. Many times it's like we're, we're grabbing the bars of the prison. We're shaking it. Let me out of here. And we haven't looked over sideways to realize that the door has been flung open. Amen? And we're still grabbing on the bars. <laughs> I'm in prison. I'm in prison. No, you are not, child of God. You are not in prison. You are free. You've been set free. You are at liberty to serve God. You are at liberty to love him. You are at liberty to actually uh, take your life and change it, allow the Lord to bring you into different manner of holiness in every aspect of your lifestyle. You can live a holy life if you want to. Amen? And that's a choice we have to make. (laughs) So tonight, I'm going to get to a very simple concept And with this concept, I want us just to make a decision and decide that, you know what, I'm going to commit myself to this freedom that the Lord has bought for me. And I'm going to seek for the door, and I'm going to find the way out. Amen? I'm going to find the way out. And so, the window of heaven has been opened to those that are redeemed by the blood of Christ. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. So no matter what what irritation, no matter what situation, no matter what twisting of your schedule takes place, Some people are so schedule-based, it's like something goes out of sorts, they lose their mind. No matter what happens, 
you can respond with Christ-likeness. You never have to be angry about it. And that's really why we get angry. Somehow, my personal desires are being infringed upon by something else out of my control. And that's where anger comes. <laughs> Amen? How important it is to see this. It's simple, but it's true. Escape from anger should not only be possible, but it should be expected from a child of God. There's no way we should just say it's possible. We should look at the child of God and say, it's expected of you to overcome that sin in your life. It's, an ex it's expected of you to not live in a spirit of anger. Amen. You can overcome. The believer should be increasingly more like Christ in the way he responds to life's difficulties and dif disappointments. And I realize when we just get saved, I don't know how long you've been saved, uh, or maybe you've been saved, you've never been taught, you've never been, uh, had your mind renewed, uh, you haven't had a lot of discipleship in your life. I don't know what the situation is for you, but the Bible says in Romans 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So there you have motivation, the mercies, you have presentation, your bodies, and now it says, and be not conformed to this world, you have separation, and then, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, there you have transformation. Transformation is something that automatically happens when you allow the Lord to change your mind. So that's what we're doing here. Church isn't, I'm not trying to transform you. I'm trying to change your thinking. And if your thinking changes, your life will change. Your thinking changes, you'll respond differently to trials. You know, and, and you'll, you'll have, you'll, you'll be uh, conformed more to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ as you allow your mind to be renewed. And so, increasingly, over time, you should find this in your Christian life that you don't lose your cool like you used to. Now, if you still got your same anger problem, there's an issue here. And it's a pretty serious one. If I've been saved 10 years, 15 years, and I still am reacting to irritations and difficulties and trials the same way I always have, then there's something missing in my Christian life. I'm still a bird sitting on the highest beam, and I haven't found my way out. Amen? And so, letter D, I have here, I don't know if he is putting it up there, I think. Honest humility is essential to overcoming anger. Now, this is a very key verse right here in James 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Now, this is the thing. We think that handling problems and difficulties, we need to go up. God says, no. If you want to handle your problems and difficulties, you need to go down. <laughs> That's why the bird doesn't go down. Because he's programmed to go up. He's programmed to go higher. That's where he thinks his safety. And many times with us as believers, the reason why we get angry, we think that's where it's safe. That's up. That's pride. Amen? But you know what? That's not where safety is. Safety is in humility. 
Now, humility requires vulnerability. <laughs> that means you have to be willing to be vulnerable. <laughs> Amen. You have to be willing to be honest about yourself and evaluate yourself in an honest way. And angry people, the biggest problem they have, they never evaluate themselves, but they evaluate everybody else. That's what they do. <laughs> but rarely do they introspect and look at themselves and say, what's wrong with me? <laughs> you know? And if they do, they don't go far enough. They don't find the key. They don't find the door. And so we must begin with honest self-evaluation instead of self-deception. And that's very common, self-deception and anger. And I'll explain that to you. We will experience God's enabling grace and mercy to conquer sinful anger when we humble ourselves and submit our will to God's. So I'm submitted. Well, it depends if you're getting angry or not. If you're losing your cool and getting angry, you're not submitted. You're still trying to have your own way. You're still trying to go up instead of down. You see, and that's wrong. And the Bible says that God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. So if we want to have the grace and power to overcome our anger, we can't go up. We have to come down. We can't make excuses. We have to be honest. We have to evaluate ourselves. We have to take responsibility, that personal responsibility for our actions. Amen? In, in Roman, uh, James 4, verse 6, it says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So insisting on our own way and clinging stubbornly to our excuses render us incapable of obtaining God's overcoming power. Think about that. So basically, if you're going to hold on to your excuses as to why you're angry and why you have the right to be angry, you will completely nullify the power of God in your life. You'll never overcome. That is truth, and you will be resisted. Anger, or resisting, I'll leave this. Resisting is to set oneself in opposition to or in array against. So if God is resisting you, the Bible says he's setting himself in opposition to you when you make excuses for your anger for your sin. That's why you try to hit the ceiling and it keeps, you keep bouncing off. You can't get out there. <laughs> There's no hole there. He says, you want to get out? You got to humble yourself. You got to be honest about yourself. Not honest about what you see around you. Not honest in what you think got you mad in the first place. Because there's always, well, they made me mad. <laughs> they made you nothing. You made yourself mad. Nobody makes you anything. If someone else can make you mad, you're in bondage. That's a pretty bad situation to be in because I have no control over what other people do. <laughs> Amen. So if my anger is my responsibility, then I can be free. But if other people are making me mad, well, then I can't be free. Right? <laughs> well, I'm sorry. They just make me mad. I got to be mad now because they made me this way. <laughs> I'm sorry. That is a lie. And as long as you hold on to excuses and lies like that, you will never overcome your sin. Never. It has to be done through, through humility. So number two, 
let's look at my way or God's way. Now, children in the, in the playground, you think about this. Johnny hits Tommy because Tommy cut in line. They want to get on the merry-go-round, and he's waiting patiently in line, and someone cut in. Now, what Johnny does in retaliation to Tommy cutting in is slap him, right? Now, why did you slap him? Well, because he cut in. See, I've got a reason as to why my anger caused me to slap him because they did something to me. That's the excuse. My anger is excused because of someone someone else's disobedience. That's what we believe. (laughs) That's your way. (laughs) That's not God's way. And he went out of his way in the scripture to show us how that's absolutely not his way. Amen? How about um, Mary calls Susie a name, and when confronted, Mary just says, oh, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. A lot of people do that. It's a sign of anger. When you're an angry person and you retaliate, and then someone comes to you to deal with the problem, many times the way that we excuse that or the way we justify it is we say, I'm just kidding. That's why when my children do something, they, they say something to my other boy or my other girl, and they, you, know, they, you know how kids can get in a, in a scuffle. And they say, oh, I was just kidding. I says, that's no excuse. I do not accept that. <laughs> Amen? Because you still did it. So that justification and excusing, this is a part of your way. This is how you deal with anger, all right? It's an excuse. And so how about uh, Stephen? He cheats playing basketball, and then he gets caught. Then he loudly protests, and he said, I just made a mistake. When he actually cheated. So anger is also connected to dishonesty. And you begin to lie to cover your anger. And so now, now it's not that I've cheated. I'm not honestly evaluating my character. What I'm doing is I'm making another excuse that it was just a mistake. I'm lessening it. All I'm doing is rising up in the barn. All I'm doing is going up to the next beam. Because I think this is the way out. The way out is for me to just kind of uh, find my way through and hop onto the next beam so that I can go a little bit higher. A little bit higher. See, all of these excuses are a result of pride. It's all pride. (laughs) And God has set himself against us. (laughs) He's saying, no, I don't accept that. You're not going to come before my throne and say, I was just kidding. You're not just going to come before my throne and say, oh, it was just a mistake. (laughs) You're not going to come before my throne and say, oh, well, they did this to me. (laughs) He has already answered those in the scripture. He's already given us the complete illustration and the examples uh, in the Bible, even looking at his son as to why you could never use those excuses and those same examples you need to apply on a daily, daily basis. Because God won't accept it. (laughs) Now, maybe other people will believe you. Other people, maybe they got the same problem. So you get the team uh, coming behind you saying, yeah, it was just a mistake. They don't want the penalty. (laughs) They don't want him thrown out of the game. 
So they jump on to the excuse. They jump on to the lie. Or Mary's friend, you know, oh yeah, she was just kidding. I mean, come on, what are you, a little baby? And they jump onto that excuse because you got a bunch of people that are willing to enable you to continue in your pride and in your anger. Amen? Until you get someone that believes what the Lord says and says, you know what? You're not doing this right. Now, this is where you go further up or you make a decision to come down. Because an angry man being confronted usually just gets angry. And when they get angry, they make excuses. <laughs> I was just kidding. It was a mistake. Well, they did this to me. And you enable them to continue on in their pride. And when they meet God, <laughs> folks, they, God will not take your side in that. Because he's already set himself against. He's already done it. He's not going to change his mind <laughs> when you meet him. Amen? So what we need to do as Christians that have the Holy Spirit of God in us is come to this conclusion that no matter what happens to me, I always need to find the correct way out and the way out is down. Humility. Amen? Confession honest evaluation, this is how we find the way out. Amen. Never rising higher, never more anger, never more excuses, never more lies. All that's doing is continuing, putting God against us, and ultimately our lives will be destroyed, just like that bird caught up in the rafters. So when we watch what triggers tempers and observe how the children explain away their sinful actions, we begin to see how the human heart naturally gravitates toward wanting to excuse, justify, or redefine what God calls sinful. That's what happens. Letter B underneath that second point, we must acknowledge that God declared every human heart to be deceitful and wicked. That's important. You see, somehow we need to come to this conclusion that you and your independence are completely corrupt. That means if you are banking on your own reasoning and your own excuses to get out of trouble, to deal with your anger, can I tell you something? You are in serious trouble. You are self-deceived. And God tried to warn us. In fact, in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? <laughs> we don't even know our own heart. The only way our heart can be revealed is by going to the Scripture and allowing the Word of God to reveal to us the very motivation why we're doing what we're doing. We don't even understand the motivation sometimes. Well, why we do what we do. We're so busy trying to hop to the next beam. <laughs> We're so busy trying to uh, preserve ourselves that we don't even realize that we haven't self-evaluated our motivation, what we're trying to accomplish here, what we're trying to do with this, and realize it's all against God. 
all my reasoning, all my justification, it goes strictly against the word of God. And therefore I know that my heart has deceived me. And we've got to learn that from the scripture. We've got to learn that from the word of God. We've got to learn to identify the deception of our own hearts. And the only way we do that is to take the light. Thy word is a light. <laughs> Amen. It's the only way you can identify the deception of your heart. You will not come to that conclusion on your own. You'll not come to that conclusion by your own flesh. You'll not come to that conclusion by your own desires. You'll have to get to that conclusion based upon God's input into your life from him to you because it's not inside of you. Amen. How true that is. Rather than conform ourselves to God's standards, we are much more comfortable making God's word conform to our own human standards. And that's why Jesus turned water into wine. <laughs> that's why Jesus told us we can drink alcohol. Right? Because I want to drink alcohol. So we change the word of God to fit the desire. Instead of changing our desires to fit the word of God. Amen. <laughs> now Hebrews chapter 4 verse number 12 says, For the word of God is quick, that means alive, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Only the word of God can discern the way you're thinking. That's why every time you deal with yourself, you've got to go to the Word of God. That's why every day you have to spend time in the Scripture. That's why you're going to constantly seek the Lord because He's the only one that can show you the depravity of your own heart. Amen? It's not in you to do it. You don't have anything inside of you to do it. It's got to be the Word of God. Understanding the role that pride and humility play in anger is crucial to understanding and conquering anger. The starting point of contention is pride. So if there's a contention, we know there's pride. The Bible says in Proverbs 13.10, Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Amen? So we got to ask ourselves, our homes, are our homes contentious? Are my relationships contentious? Is there contention? Well, if there is, it's probably because somebody has an anger problem and instead of finding the way out, they continue to rise and hide themselves on the next beam, lifting themselves up higher in pride, having God resist them, and then they cause issues in their relationships. Pride is what brings contention. I mean, that's important. I mean, we, we've read it a thousand times. <laughs> but then why is it that when it happens in our home, or happens in our church, or happens in our job site, why is it we don't stop there and say, okay, there's pride somewhere here, and I need to evaluate right now, is it me? Am I trying to protect myself by raising myself up to another level, thinking I'm somehow going to escape the accusations, whatever it is that's going to happen, or am I humbling myself? Well, I mean, humbling, it's their fault. <laughs> It doesn't matter whose fault it is. Because if you want to be free, you have to humble yourself. 
No matter whose fault it is. Do you understand that? No matter who did wrong, you need to humble yourself. Amen? It's the only way out. To be proud, or pride, I'll give you this, this definition. I have a pride here. It's presumptuous arrogance. <laughs> it's unreasonably confident presumption that one's view is correct. Unreasonably confident presumption that my view is correct. That's pride. Every fight we have, husband and wife, <laughs> is because someone <laughs> is saying, my view, unreasonably so, and confidently so, presumptuously, is the correct one. And that is the definition of pride. That's why even in Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, or 3, uh, 3 or 4, 6, oh, it's slipping me here, when it talks about taking brothers and sisters to court or to law, suing each other, the Lord says you would, it would rather that you would defraud yourself. It'd be better for you to defraud yourself. Do you understand when it comes to the children of God, the other person may be wrong and you're right. But that doesn't mean that you can use any method to prove that or to run that down you still have to take a humble road. You're still dealing with it, but you can't do it like the world does it. And I find that when a Christian begins to take on principles of the world and apply that to their relationships in the church, it causes a lot of problems. A lot. There's two sources of wisdom. There's wisdom of this world, and there's the wisdom of God. And we need to ask ourselves, which wisdom are we operating by in this? <laughs> because you can get the whole world patting you on the back. Oh, <laughs> you are so wise. But their wisdom is wrong. God's wisdom is right. God's wisdom is peaceable. Easy to be entreated. It brings forth the, the, the fruit of righteousness. Amen. But the wisdom of this world, envy. The Bible says where there's every evil work. Confusion. If you're ever in a situation there's confusion in it, it's because somebody in there is proud. <laughs> operating by a different set of rules. And it's hard when you're a child of God trying to operate by God's rules, dealing with someone that's operating by a different set of rules. <laughs> it's like trying to play a basketball game, both sides have a different set of rules. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Who's going to win that? That's why the church has to operate by one set of rules. <laughs> And that's God's set of rules. We have to go God's way, not our way. But when we start implementing our way in dealing with anger, our way with dealing with problems, and then we try to bring the church into it, it, it just causes a big confusion. That's because the world's wisdom has been introduced. Amen? And so to be proud is to confidently rely on one's own reasoning, to act in a self-sufficient way, that one does not need to see the importance of censoring one's own thoughts and attitudes to reflect God's point of view. So basically, when you're proud, what takes place is you do not think that I need to bring my thoughts into line 
with God's thoughts. I can have my own thoughts, come up with my own reasoning, and have my own way. When in all reality, I'm supposed to submit my thoughts and bring those thoughts into line with God's thoughts, which is the Word of God. And pride is saying, I'm not going to do that. Pride is saying, this is what I believe is right. But it has no scripture to back it up. It has no Bible principle that carries that through. It's a worldly wisdom that causes you to do that. Number three, God is gracious when one is willing to exchange his own thoughts and ways for his thoughts and ways. See, this is all that it is. You know, when we're dealing with problems, this is really what needs to take place. Your thought needs to be exchanged for God's thought. Your way needs to be exchanged for God's way. And if that's what takes place, there is much grace and much restoration. Amen? But if it's not there, there's pride and resisting. Scripture we have here is Luke 9, verse 23. It says, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You know, the one thing in the scripture that God, that Christ tells us to deny is the one thing we fight tooth and nail not to deny. (laughs) I told you about my message. I think I preached it here on balancing the Christian life, dividing up the week into 168 hours, how many times, where you spend in church, you're eating, you're sleeping, you're, uh, you're bathing, you're uh, soul winning, your devotion time, and how that after all of that you still have, I forget what the number was, it's been so long, I think 16 to 20 hours for you. But it's amazing when, when the time comes for you to choose what to let go. <laughs> we'll cut back on church where he says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as a man or some is, or will maybe not work as hard. <laughs> where he says, if a man doesn't work, he should, shouldn't eat. It's a command of God. All these different things. It even talks about rest. He gives his beloved sleep. Uh, we're supposed to eat right. We're supposed to do all these different things. And the one thing we will not give up is our personal time. And that's the one thing in Scripture, God says, that's what you need to give up. <laughs> when your clock has run out, You start with your time. Amen? (laughs) Boy, that's just too much like God's way. (laughs) Do you understand that? But that's where we battle. So here we are with pride again. We're battling my way against God's way. My way against God's way. No, I think I just need to pull back from church. No, you don't. I would never say that. I would say what the scripture says, that even so much the more as you see the day approaching. So he never pulls back. He's always telling you more and more, not less. So if you ever get in your idea in your head that somehow you need less, that's your way. That's not God's way. That's you climbing to the top, to the next beam, and not finding the way out. And God is resisting you. Do you understand this? Independence. I don't need anybody to tell me what to think. Yes, you do. Because your heart is completely deceitful and wicked and you need the word of God to guide you every minute of your day. Every minute. (laughs) Every decision. Everywhere you go. Every job you get. (laughs) All of that has to fall within Bible principle. Amen. So, 
The way up is down. The way up is down. The whole essence of the victorious Christian life is summed up in the words of Christ. Matthew 6, 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Amen? Because that's what it is. We don't want to give up our life. We don't want to give up our way, you know. He says, I'll tell you something. If you will give it up, I will show you the freedom that you can have. And I'll show you a life that you never thought you could have. It's surely better than the one you're experiencing, bouncing your head against the roof all the time, never being truly happy, never truly free. But you're in control. You're in control, you know. Christians don't need to bear the curse of the cross. The curse of the cross was born on Christ himself. But you need to carry the humiliation of the cross. You need to carry the suffering of the cross. The loss. Amen? The curse. That, that cross you cannot carry. <laughs> that was a one-time cross there. 2,000 years ago. Amen? Only Christ could have carried that one. But he gave you one. And that cross is a cross of humiliation. It's a cross of humbleness. It's a cross of surrender. (laughs) It's a cross of taking it all on your back and saying, Lord, I'll carry this for you. It's not a cross of ease. It's not a cross where I can just do what I want and I'm going to be independent. I'm going to live my life the way I want. That's not a cross at all. You're not denying yourself at all. Young people, I know we got all kinds of desires. Remember when I was young? I want to do this, I want to do that. I hear people all the time, I'm going to travel the world. And uh, Sometimes my kids even say, I'm going to travel the world. I said, where are you going to go to church? <laughs> well, you can't just go to church if you're traveling the world. Then I wonder if it's God's will for you to travel the world. <laughs> do you understand that you can keep lifting yourself up and bouncing your head against the roof. Or you can just humble yourself and find the life that God has for you. But all I know is if you want to go your own way, you're going to die up there. And God's going to be resisting you to your last day. It's a principle. Contrasting God's way and man's way. Number one, we naturally want to be exalted and we earnestly desire the respect and consideration of others. Yet, we are taught by our Lord that before honor is humility, and before being exalted, one must be abased. We see that in Matthew 23, 12. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and him that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Yet, we we initially come to people, we say, hey, I want you to respect me, I want you to exalt me. Well, the Lord says, if that's what you want, then you've got to humble yourself. He says, oh, no, no, that's not what I want to do, I just want to lift myself up. Well, that's why you're never really being exalted. Number two, we naturally want to receive God's blessings, yet Christ teaches us we receive by giving. (laughs) I want, I want, I want, you know. That's why a lot of young people, they don't want to wait till marriage for the intimacy of marriage. They want the blessing of that before obedience. 
God says, you want blessing, you first have to give. That's why you can't just take. That's why you just can't receive. You understand? The Bible says, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. I don't know why everybody's always against me. <laughs> well, it's probably because you are lifting yourself up with pride. You know, there's not an authority in your life that will go your way if you're proud. They will constantly resist you. But there's not a good authority in the world that will not embrace you if you humble yourself. I see that over and over and over in ministry. <laughs> a lot of people say, well, you're just against what I've done. <laughs> Folks, do you understand how the kind of sin I have to deal with as a pastor? Whether the person is received or whether we uh, accept them or help them has nothing to do with the largeness of the sin. That's to do with the largeness of the humility. That's the complete measure that we use as pastors. The humility. If they're willing to come down, no matter how high they've gone, no matter what they have done, if they are willing to come down, we'll help them find the door out. Amen? Number three, we like to lead, but the way to become a good leader is to become a good follower. A lot of people just want to take over. They just want to do what they want to do. I want to be the teacher in church. <laughs> I always tell people, if you're not coming here as a student, then you're never going to be a teacher. We don't, teachers don't come in the back door. Teachers are built from the body. You understand that? <laughs> and that helps me because when I see somebody come in, they want to teach, and then I realize they're going the wrong way. That's pride. There's no way you're teaching here. You have to be called from the body. <laughs> Amen? That's why our Sunday school teachers come from here. We don't hire out for Sunday school teachers. <laughs> They come from the body, and the Lord raises them up from the body of Christ. And they are placed into their position, their membership, their, their fingers, the hands, whatever place that God has for them. That's God's way. Amen? So I tell people, you want to come here, you want to teach me something, show me first that you can learn something. Because if you can't learn, you can't teach. If you can't follow, you can't lead. That's a principle of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Number four, we naturally want to fight back, but Christ tells us the way he wants us to fight is to love our enemies. <laughs> you love them. Like I said this morning, love isn't me going and hugging them all the time and, oh, I love you, ooey gooey gooey, you know. <laughs> love is doing the right thing. Love is doing the right thing. When God so loved the world, he killed his son. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> sure is. But that's love. It's love. Love is dealing with things. Love is making the way for people to find the way out. Amen. Love is not protecting yourself and getting everybody to like you in the process. In fact, true love will probably get them to dislike you first. <laughs> then if they humble themselves, then they'll really love you. But if they keep in pride, they'll always hate you. 
right? The Bible says that the wounds of the friend are faithful, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. <laughs> Amen. And an enemy is one that really doesn't care about their welfare. They're enablers. They continue on enabling the person to raise up in pride because they just like me and I like being liked. <laughs> but what about their soul? What about their future? What about where they're going? What about what God has for the life? Who's going to stick their neck out? Who's going to be the one to say, no, that can't happen here? Who's going to be the one to take the stand? That's love. And it puts a target on your back. Number five, well, it says, love your enemies, bless them and curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Number five, we want to be honored, but Christ tells us the way to be honored is to serve others, not our own aspirations. The greatest among you, though it says here in Matthew 20, verse 27, whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Pastor, I want to be the chief guy here. Well, then come pick up these hymn books. <laughs> the bathroom needs cleaning. Well, well, I'm a little bit overqualified for that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something. You're never overqualified to serve. Anybody can serve. And the greatest person here is the greatest servant. Is the one that's willing to give the most. With the least praise. <laughs> Amen. I want to be honored. I have people, man, I've gotten in trouble here for people left the church because I didn't use them for a thing that they wanted to be used. Yet, but they never once stayed to help us clean up the church one time. Yet I was supposed to put them in front of the pulpit. I was supposed to put them right up here. Yet they never stuck around to help and to put elbow grease into something and to maybe sacrifice some gas and some money and some time and all these different things. They don't do it, but they want to be honored. I'm sorry, that's just a bird hopping around in the rafters. Amen? Surely he's not finding the way out. <laughs> Number six, we want to conquer the devil, but Christ tells us the way that we conquer the devil is to submit to God. <laughs> we were very bold. I'm going to give the old devil a black eye. You'll give the devil nothing. Even Michael the archangel says, the Lord rebuke you. And the Michael the archangel, he whooped up on a lot of those demons. <laughs> He took out demons. I couldn't take out one. He took out many. In fact, he's going to cast the devil down during the tri tribulation, in the mid-tribulation. He's going to cast them down. One angel. Yet that one mighty angel says, the Lord rebuke you. He never rebuked him in his own authority. He rebuked him in his God's authority. Amen. Submission. This is really the key. James 4, 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Number seven, we'll be done. I got two left here. We liked being strong, but Christ tells us when we are weak, we are strong. We want to be perceived as weak, especially you young guys, right? Do you guys walk by the mirrors and flex? Dads, do you catch your sons doing that? <laughs> you could ask me. <laughs> we just taken down all the mirrors. It was getting out of control. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, 
them am I strong. You talk about a principle for defeating anger, it's right there. Infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, distresses. These are all situations that we get mad at. These are all irritations that we don't like and we just, oh, who does he think he is? Yet, we need that. We need that to become weak so the Lord can become strong. See, that's true submission. True submission is allowing the irritations to take place and have the Lord and, and submit within that irritation as weak. That's how to find the door down. <laughs> Amen. Number eight, we want to be praised openly, but Christ teaches us to secretly, uh, to pray secretly. I missed the word there. And he will praise us openly. Uh, when I type, it's like, and I forget words. <laughs> Amen. But thou, when thy prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which is seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Let the Lord do it. But that it's all dependent upon what you do in secret. So the praise you get openly is dependent on what you're like secretly. Amen? Number nine, we like to be first, but Christ teaches us to be last. Mark 10, 31, but many that are first shall be last, and the last first. See, God's ways are designed to produce humility and an appropriate reliance on Christ rather than self. See, that's why he designed all these principles that way. He wants us to get to the end of ourselves and to become weak so that our reliance is upon Jesus Christ. He wants us to stay the last so that we have to depend on Christ to become first. He wants us to be weak so that we have to rely on Christ to become strong. <laughs> Amen? So what he's going to do is he's going to put that guy in traffic that cuts you off. And you know what? You're going to thank God. Because the Lord is just putting you in a position once again, where you have to rely upon Christ for how you react to trials and situations. So now we say, well, that's just a little thing. <laughs> that is the thing. <laughs> if you can't have control in the little things, how can you depend upon Christ for the big things? If I can't trust him in the traffic, how can I trust him when, when people turn on me? <laughs> Amen? Or I lose my job. Or I get robbed. Or my house burns down. Or I lose a family member. We learn in the traffic. We learn in the little things. We learn to submit. Amen? Anything other than that is just us trying to be safe flying around, bumping our head on the, on the ceiling. Oh, I found another beam. Oh, they won't find me here. <laughs> There's only so many beams. Well, I'll hop back to the first one I was on. And that's what, how most Christians live their life. Hopping here, hopping there, hopping there. 
when, when they have a wide door open <laughs> that leads to the windows of heaven. And they're happy bumping their head every day. Hopping from three different beams. Thinking, at least I'm in control. <laughs> you're in control of nothing. <laughs> in fact, your flesh is controlling you. Amen. Let's bow our heads. I have more in this lesson. We're going to cover more next week. I think these principles are powerful, powerful stuff. And I think just for tonight, what we need to do is come to a position where we're willing to be honest. This is really the first step to freedom is honesty. There's no honesty, there's no freedom. And so you have to say, yes, pastor, I'm going before the Lord tonight and I'm going to let him know that I know that all I've been doing is hopping beams, trying to escape by going up. I've been making excuses and I haven't been honest. And I'm going to repent before the Lord and I'm going to say, I confess this, Lord. I've not been doing right. I've been living a self-absorbed life, self-dependent life, a self-deceived life. But tonight I submit. I submit. I humble myself and I put myself into your hands in all the problems that are in my life, all these things that I've been trying to fly above, and I'm going to allow myself to drop down, and I'm going to let you show me the door. And as we go forward, we're going to find ways where you can find freedom in your personal life. And this isn't just for anger. This is for many different things in our personal lives. But anger, we can completely overcome that by God's grace.